Ammon Hennessy. He called, he called himself the one-man revolution, and I think he hit it right. The vegetarianism, the anarchism, the pacifism, I think they formed a kind of totality for him. Well, he was a wonderful human being. He was very alive, you know, full of enthusiasm, my God. He'd pitch into anything. Yeah, it was just right there, right there with you. He definitely wouldn't pay taxes. When he died, he over $2,000 in taxes for the federal government, and he never got a penny of it. He always won over his adversaries. He didn't hate people. He was also a social worker and a teacher of history. Well, he practiced what he preached. He didn't just talk and write books. And he really was an anarchist. He was very devoted to John the Baptist as a radical, you know, as a reformer. He had a hostility to organized religion. He had a very determined will, a very strong will, and he would do physically what he set out to do. I mean, he was out irrigating in the West for years and years, living a very hard life. He lived in voluntary poverty and simplicity all his life for his ideals, for what he believed in. And he was a strict vegetarian, but not a vegan. I never heard him show any interest in sport. He, was, he never hitchhiked. He would take a ride. If anybody stopped and off and running, he'd hop in the car, you know, but he, he would never beg, never get out there with his thumb. Very disciplined, very, very disciplined person. His body was strong and hard, you know. He was definitely not a pipsqueak. <laughs> he was a man who had so much enthusiasm, you know, and he had all these things that he wanted to tell me. Well, I don't know what else to say about Ammon. You know, you, you, you couldn't stop him with whatever he was doing. You wouldn't want to stop him. You, you accepted Ammon as uh, an individual who was doing uh, good things, and he was doing them on his own whenever he felt. These are the sounds of Catholic Worker Community Radio. You are about to hear the story of a 20th century American anarchist. His name is Ammon Hennessy. He is perhaps best known for his ability to love his enemies, the way Mohandas K. Gandhi did. Hennessy was a Christian anarchist and a vital part of the Catholic worker movement. Nearly 30 years after his death, Marcus Page collected these interviews from the friends of Ammon Hennessy. I wanted to figure out what was so special about this guy. His ashes were scattered on the graves of the Haymarket martyrs in Chicago when I was still a child. Marcus Payne. And I didn't discover his legacy until 20 years later. I met Ammon Hennessy on the 4th of July in 1954 in Memphis at the Catholic Worker House there. Robert Steed. Well, I'm amazed that more people aren't interested in him. He was unique, really unique. I mean, he knew all the radical history. He knew everybody in the radical movement. He would go and you know, meet communists or Trotskyites or not just anarchists. He didn't have much use for anarchists, actually. I thought they were all crazy. And, and there weren't many around anyway. Eileen Egan. Some of his heroes were, um, you know, the the, uh, the martyrs of, of, uh, of the labor movement. Jim Missy. Quite apart from his radicalism, he was a very good commentator on public events, particularly Oh, political events, war, peace, politicians. He was really an effective commentator. His, his whole idea was communication, to get his ideas over. 
if not by words, then by deeds, and if not by deeds, then by the placard. He would never go out without a placard of some sort. And I said, you know, Ammon, uh, I think you were born coming out with a placard into the world. <laughs> Francis Gorgon. I met Ammon in Milwaukee at my boss's office here. So the boss wasn't there, I was in the office. In comes Ammon, introduced himself, wanted to know about me, Catholic. Pretty soon he told me his life history, sitting on a radiator in the office. And he really only cared about uh, you know, his message and his career as a radical. He was, didn't care about anything else. He didn't like music, he didn't like literature, he didn't, you know, everything was this one-man revolution thing. That's all he ever thought about or talked about or cared about. He was born on the 24th of July, 1893, in Ohio. In his youth, he became a socialist, met Mother Bloor and Emma Goldman, and sold cornflakes. The following is an old tape of Ammon telling his story to a group of college students in 1964. I'm going to tell you how I got started that way. And I got down to Atlanta prison on Friday, July 13, 1917. He was arrested for being a conscientious objector and telling other men to not register for the draft. And Alexander Berkman, who had been in jail when I was a kid, and before I was born, he was in jail for shooting Frick in the homestead strike. Any of you people in labor history, if I throw out words and you don't know what to mean, why well, see me in the alley afterwards, see? I don't have to leave at 11.50 tonight. Uh, so uh, he saw me, he says, now there's four things to do. Don't tell a lie. This is an atheist, anarchist. Don't tell a lie. Take your stand, whatever it is, and don't back down. Once you commence to back down, they'll, they'll hit you. Always stand straight forward. And the third is, if they commence to hit you, don't hit back. There's more of them than there are you. If one cop can't beat you, two can. If two can't, ten can. And the next is, uh, don't be a stool pigeon. Well, any Irishman knows that. For his covert work in getting 900 other inmates to not eat the rotten fish dinner, Ammon was thrown into solitary confinement the whole Francis Gorgon. He uh, wanted something to read and they wouldn't give him anything to read but the Bible. So if they give him a cookbook he would have been good on learning recipes. If he get a Jehovah Witness uh, book he would have been good on Jehovah Witness but they only gave him a, a Bible and uh, the type was uh, good to read at but then they'd come out and took that one away and give him one with a smaller type. You know, because the prison is not supposed to cater to people, they're supposed to subdue them. And so he got the smaller type and he read the Bible one time, then picked it up the second time, all the way through, read the whole thing, all pick it up the third time, he's gradually getting enlightenment. At the beginning of Emmons talk, the audio equipment started a feedback cycle and the recording suffered thereafter. Ammon Hennessy. Well, I read this Bible. In there, it says, love your enemies. I love everybody in the world, but the warden. But, and if I didn't love that guy, it didn't mean anything. That guy, it didn't make any difference. If I loved the whole world, but him, it didn't mean anything. The fourth time, he read it through again, and he could believe everything there, except where it said in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemy. 
how can I love the warden? He's the guy that put me in here. So he just threw the Bible down and did his exercises and he couldn't reconcile himself to uh, how can I love my enemy when my enemy's uh, you know, chiseling, you know, putting me in jeopardy here. This is my logic. My logic was, I wouldn't have done it, and nobody talked me into it. Dorothy says the grace of God, well, I'll admit it now, but I didn't know there was a God in there, see. But uh, I loved the warden. I said, now this poor warden, the poor bastard, he never was, you know, that's what I felt, you know. Uh, Jesus said, you're a bastard to the truth, you know. Uh, so this guy had never been locked up in the solitary. He had never read the Bible one time or six times. Well, how could he know about the Christ? He couldn't know it unless he had to think about it. Well, I couldn't think about anything else. It was impossible. Now, if I could talk to somebody else, maybe it'd help, but I had to figure it out myself. Uh, so you shouldn't blame the poor guy. So I was converted to the Sermon on the Mount. And that's how... Uh he converted himself, and he called that the most important event of his life. That he got put in solitary, the grace of God brought him to the teachings of Christ. The Sermon on the Mount is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. It summarizes the revolutionary wisdom of peacemaking and nonviolence in this corrupt world. This teaching of Christ Jesus includes such concepts as you cannot serve both God and money, love your enemies, and go an extra mile when someone forces you to go one. Upon release from prison in 1919, he married Selma Melms. In the late 1920s, they had a farm in Minnesota and procreated four times. Selma carried only two of their offspring to full term. In the 1930s, Ammon was the social worker in Milwaukee who organized one of the first social workers' unions. As the U.S. prepared for World War II, Ammon prepared to resist the draft again. So Selma took their children and moved away. Ammon became a migrant laborer in the southwestern U.S. during the 1940s. Uh, when the um, Second World War was unleashed, Dorothy took the front page of the paper and said, uh, our manifesto is the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemy, uh, bless those who persecute you, you know, don't retaliate. Eileen is speaking about Dorothy Day and the Catholic Worker Movement. Here's more archival recordings. First we'll hear from Dorothy Day. founder of the Catholic Worker was really Peter Morin, you know, a French peasant who was a teacher himself. He read various articles that I had written and suggested starting the paper, The Catholic Worker, and building up a program of action, which was a very simple one, and which has continued to this day. Uh, it consisted of the publication of the paper for clarification of thought, because after all, a paper is also a teacher to go ahead and to write about ideas and how they affected the lives of people, and houses of hospitality where the works of mercy could be performed, and farming communes where people could go to the land and try to work towards the decentralization of our economy, to get away from the packed slums of the cities. The ideas are still so vital to the day. There's still so much, 
so much uh, a matter of controversy, so much a matter of uh, uh, working against this highly centralized economy, uh, state-dominated economy. And these are the things that Peter started in teaching us, and I tell you about him because he was so much a man of prayer. The following is a short historical analysis entitled Makers of Europe by Peter Moran. When the Irish were Irish, the Irish were scholars. When the Irish were scholars, the Irish were Greek scholars. When the Irish were Greek scholars, the Irish spoke Greek as well as Irish. But now, Irish is Greek to the Irish. Now the Irish shout with the Anglo-Saxon. Business is business. Keep smiling. Watch your step. How is the rush? How are you making out? How is the world treating you? The law of supply and demand. Competition is the life of trade. Your dollar is your best friend. So what? The radical vision of the Catholic worker was propagated through the New York Catholic Worker newspaper, which Dorothy Day and Peter Morin started together. Now, Peter Morin thought out his ideas from a totally Catholic viewpoint, and he didn't get into the particulars. He just talked about, you know, uh, raising up a new society with the, with the old and down with the bosses and grow your own food and make your own clothes and build your own house and just start anew. Yeah, we had, actually had a Catholic worker farm there. Mary Murray. But none of us knew what we were doing. It's understandable. Years later you can understand why it didn't work. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the Catholic worker paper kind of held out this ideal of farming communes, but they really didn't have much to <laughs> offer in the way of how to do it. Carl Meyer. But unless those of us who live in the imperial class of territory claimed by the United States, until we start living in a different way so that we don't need to dominate Iraq's petroleum reserves. Uh -huh. We don't need to dominate the economy of the world because we don't need to exploit the economy of the world to maintain our standard of living. These firefights of wars and so on are part of the imperial project of the greatest empire, the most powerful empire that has ever existed, the American Empire. So that's my project to, to sort of build from the seed of showing Americans how U.S. people how to live in a different way. Well, I think I think Carl is like, is like Ammon. You know, Ammon would like to confront the, the system. I mean, you know, Ammon was not a, a shy guy. I mean, Ammon would come on if he found somebody to confront him. He was right there in their face. Pat Murray. And he would, you know, he would preach his doctrine. He just does not ever back down. Uh -huh. and, uh, we back down. We compromise. Yeah, Ammon, there's no compromise <laughs> with Ammon. That kind of one-person courage in the 1950s 
took far more courage then than it takes now because of the anti-communist hysteria of the 1950s. One person revolution, he worked on his own, and I think it was, I can't imagine being on a committee and discussing things back and forth because he had his personal views and he went ahead with them, which was fine. Ralph Duggia. You, you accepted Ammon as uh, an individual who was doing uh, good things and he was doing them on his own whenever he felt you know, uh, he would go ahead and do it. Eileen Egan. When he first came to the worker, um, Dorothy uh, said, you know, now we have a, a new person here. Uh, he feels as we do, is Ammon Hennessy. And uh, he was, you know, recognized as an anarchist. Dorothy used the term anarchist and anarchism, not anarchy. And um, she was a great uh, follower of uh, Kropotkin. And most of the people who came to the work uh, were of a religious bent, you know. And. Uh, uh, they were, I think, put off by this anarchism. And uh, I'd say, but Dorothy, they don't know what you mean. And she said, well, I mean the anarchism of Kropotkin. Mutual aid and, you know, all that. I said, but they never heard of that. Well, they, she tried to sell the ideas without pressing too hard on, on anarchism. Father Marion Casey. Anarchism, uh, philosophically, is a noble thing. It's a good thing. Uh, St. John of the Cross says we must be free from every kind of attachment. Uh, not only worldly attachments, but even spiritual attachments. That can be a real distraction, distraction from true spirituality. And then when you get up that far, he says, and here, there is no way as for the just person, there is no law. Yeah. There is no law. If, you, if you've reached a certain level of justice and holiness, spirituality, th there's no more law. There's no law. That's anarchism in the most perfect form. In the 1950s, Ammon strengthened the ties between the Catholic worker and other radical organs, such as the War Resisters League. So when I went to prison, and we were all locked up together. After we were locked up four months together, you had a lot of discussions. And uh, and uh, here I was. Uh, I was with these religious people, you know. I'd never been with religious people who really were active. And uh, so I was impressed by that. And then the funny thing about it, the religious people said, "Well, Ralph, and you know, as people others, he said." I thought that if you were an atheist or an agnostic, whatever it was, that, that you were only interested in yourself and that you would never, that these people didn't do anything for society, they were selfish. I mean, that, that was their take on uh, non-religious people, you know, and my take was the same thing. So that was a very interesting conversation because then I, I changed my attitude towards religious people and they changed their attitude towards non-religious people. On June 15, 1955, 29 people were arrested for not obeying the air raid drill and New York police. It was only a propaganda thing. Uh -huh. It was crazy to think that, that this was a real drill for a nuclear attack on Manhattan. Uh -huh. Manhattan Island is an island between the Hudson River and the East River. Now, the theory of this thing was that if you were subjected to a nuclear attack, 
the sirens would ring all over the city warning you and you would go down in the basement and down in any inside buildings and so on and so forth and there you would protect yourself against a nuclear attack. Well, I worked in a basement in the middle of Manhattan. It would be a, a totally, da totally dangerous place to be during any kind of a bombing raid, let alone a nuclear bomb hitting near or, or on Manhattan, because you would be drowned. It had nothing to do with a realistic drill to protect people. Right, it had right. only to do with yeah. propagandizing the American people to the idea of the Cold War and to the idea that perhaps with defensive measures you could survive a nuclear war. Carol Gorgon. Since we did not take shelter then they uh, got the wagon and arrested us and uh, they separated the men through, from the women and Dorothy was right in the front, and uh, somebody said, oh, it looks like like uh, uh, a raid for the of the madam and the girls, because <laughs> <You know? laughs> some of us were pretty young. Later, in the courtroom... So, and with nothing to eat, you know, from two o'clock in the afternoon, just hauled around from cell to cell. So by the time we were in night court, they started calling everybody's name. And a Ammon's name, was the the person couldn't, didn't know how you pronounced it. So they started, uh, he started saying one thing, and he said, Haneke, Haneke, Haneke. You never said Haneke. And, you know, we were all sort of uh, getting a little hysterical at that point. And Judith Malina, the actress, uh, she uh, laughed as much as any of us, and the judge pointed at her, and he said, what's so funny? And uh, she said, well, just the way the, the bailiff is uh, pronouncing people's names. And uh, he said, I don't see anything funny about that. He said, have you been ever been in a mental uh, institution? And she said, no, have you? With that, he says, take her away. And at that moment, her husband, I could see him, because right. we're over on the side. He had these long legs, and he came all like this, up the aisle. The whole place was in bedlam. My husband ran down, the most beautiful girl or woman in the world. Two gods closed in on him. Pat Russ. The whole place was in bedlam. You know, here she was, center stage, wasn't she? Yeah. You know, who could resist? <laughs> In the summer of 1959, Ammon Hennessy wrote this letter to the judge prior to his tardy solo participation in Omaha action at Meade Missile Base. Forty years later, Francis Gorgon reads his copy of the letter. In accordance with the Gandhi approach of goodwill to those who oppose, I'm notifying you on Monday, the 24th of August, I'll go over the fence at the missile base as my co-worker Carl Meyer has done, and as my other pacifist friends have done in our witnesses against the crime of this age, atomic war. 
I, I mean, he came out to Omaha Action on his own in August after we did Omaha Action, where a number of us got arrested for trespassing at a missile base. And he Sorry. came out and he did the trespassing on his own. At the time we, that we were doing the project, he was fasting his annual fast over Hiroshima, you know. Francis Gorgon. Well, I was supposed to drop him off at the right gate, you understand, and then go about my business because he didn't want me to get involved in it. My mission was to get him out there safely. You understand, we went down the dirt road. We got on the wrong dirt road and got into the back way somewhere or other. So then I drove him down there and there wasn't any construction like this. We just went right in and here's all the building constructors and the engineers and the carpenters and the masons. They're all at work. And we come in and Hammond says, you take this side, I'll take that side. And we'll we'll um, educate these guys. I was uh, escorted off and didn't go back on where Hammond escorted off and went around and jumped over the gate and arrested him, trespassing federal property. Hennessy's letter to the judge continues. If you read Tolstoy's Resurrection, or if you read Christ's Sermon on the Mount, the 5th, 6th, 7th chapter of Matthew, you'll better understand what I'm talking about. It may be difficult for you to believe that I did not come to Omaha to cause you, or the missile folks, or the government trouble. This is only incidental, or I have any hope of stopping the missile development program. My mission is to wake those Quakers and half-pacifists over the United States and the country who say that they believe in peace and try to wake up and do something more than just write letters to congressmen or to sign petitions addressed to congressmen. I am then telling you in advance that I'm coming here to Omaha on my own and I represent the Catholic worker, a copy which I'm enclosing for you. I do not wish any parole from you, but will cheerfully take the sentence which you have given my friends in previous cases. Sincerely, for peace and freedom, Ammon Hennessy, Associate Editor of The Catholic Worker, August 24th, 1959. In 1961, Ammon started the Joe Hill House of Hospitality in Salt Lake City, Utah. Ammon and I had started a house in Salt Lake City. Mary Lathrop. Uh, I, I was there for several months and working, uh, uh, doing housework to help support the place. Because I helped Ammon start the Catholic Worker House in Salt Lake City. But he was happy to have anybody come and give him a break and he hadn't been away from that place for a long time. Well, yeah, he went on a speaking tour and I stayed in the Salt Lake City House for a few months. You know, he went away for about a month, but the, I was there for five months, so I was there a great deal when he was there. And anybody could come in any time of the night uh, so you had to get up. One, one of us would sleep on the floor near the door and the other one would sleep in the bed and the next night we'd reverse it. And so you, you slept well one night, every other night, but the night you were opening the door you didn't sleep much at all. While in Utah, Carol Gorgon discovered the bad news about Dugway Proving Ground. So she told Ammon about this local manufacturer of weapons of mass destruction. I was in the public library and I wanted to read the magazine, and it was the current issue. And uh, I read about this Operation Blue Skies uh, concerning Dugway uh, 
gas and and other things that they were using in experimenting on uh, animals, uh, goats primarily. And, um, you know, it just seemed so terrible, the whole thing, especially when um, the colonel said that uh, it was the, the best thing that they had. And uh, then uh, somebody said, well, how did, how did, you know, how did they actually die? They died in convulsions, he said. And, you know, it, it just got to me when I read that. So I, I uh, got, I guess Ammon must have been in the library too. I said, read this because this is terrible what they're doing out there with this nerve gas and other stuff that they're using, poisons. And so then immediately he said, we'll have to go out and pick it. So then we, we had to find out where Dugway was. and. The only way we could get out there was to be driven, and Francis uh, very kindly drove us out and picked us up at the end of the day. So Ammon and Carol went out there and picketed them. And we uh, had signs and leaflets, and whenever anybody came to apply for work or the soldiers were, came back and forth, we, we gave them leaflets. and. Of course, we got booed, and uh, once in a while, somebody would say something nice. Bob Steed. Well, he practiced what he preached. He didn't just talk and write books. He really was an anarchist. He can't, couldn't stand pious people. He called them pious frauds. And he, anybody who hung around churches day and night, you know, he didn't have much use for it. Though he was always going to church in Salt Lake. We'd go to a ch different church every Sunday. Buddhist and Catholic and Protestant and anything. We had a storefront to feed the men that were coming in. Well, first of all, we did we we fasted and picketed the 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 post office because that's the f a federal building nearby, and we did 12 days on just on water and fasting and picketing uh, about you know tax resistance and and all that. That was a big problem for the bishop whose name was Bishop Federal. Uh, he was conservative and he didn't like us picketing and he, um, the bishop felt that he had enough problems with the Mormons as it was because he wanted a nice, quiet, dignified a church. And of course there were only men. This was just all men and I was the only woman. Which in general uh, is not a problem for me. <laughs> so I said to Ammon, Ammon, my reputation is worth nothing here. And he said, well, what do you care what people think? You know, uh, Ammon, of course. Doesn't care what anybody thinks. He doesn't care what anybody, is, you know. And I said, well, I do care. And I was quite uh, put out by the fact that Ammon didn't care about w what anybody thought of me. Look, he wasn't without attraction, it's the truth. Mm -hmm. He was dynamic. He was alive, he was charming, he was intelligent, and he was an idealist, and he was a radical, and he was a Catholic, and there was a lot. He was, a, he was, he was very, very charitable, very tender. Uh, he loved women. He really loved women. <laughs> yeah, he, he was no misogynist, I'll say that. It's funny he would go out every morning and buy a, a single rose to give to Dorothy Day. 
And we used to go around, we had an itinerary, we went all around uh, Manhattan and sold the newspapers. And I tacked up his itinerary on the bulletin board in the hallway. But he was attracted to strong women who had integrity and courage. Uh, Dorothy Day is just one of them, his mother, his grandmother, Mother Bloor, the communist, uh, Mother Jones, the labor organizer, uh, the Duke of Bohr, Helen Demoskoff. While picketing against Utah's proposed execution of two guilty prisoners, Ammon suffered a heart attack and died six days later, the 14th of January, 1970. I stayed in touch with him and with his um, wife, Joan Thomas, from, I suppose, the early to mid-60s until, until he died. That was in January of 1970. I kept in touch with his widow for all these years with Joan Thomas. She distinguishes between the public Hennessy and the personal. She said if she had just known the public Hennessy, she would have never been interested in him because he was so, took himself so seriously. But I think she found enough of interest in the personal Hennessy and she felt he was very different when he was off stage. Mary Lathrop. I learned from Ammon that, 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 that there's always a way of defusing things and, 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 and changing the scene. I learned that, that fact from Ammon that there's always a way. There's always a way to get around violence. And the ways are infinite, you know. Marcus Page. In talking to all these friends of Ammon Hennessy, I realized that Ammon was truly a person of great love. These people, the lives that Ammon touched, are the evidence that his entire being was devoted to active resistance to the world's powers of greed, revenge, violence, foolishness, and coercion. And as he said when the reporter asked him if he thought he could change the world, I said, no, but damn sure can't change me. Oh, he also said, Anything that I've done, some of it's pretty good, but anything that I've done, any of the rest of you can do if you wake up. And I hope some of you do, otherwise be, I might as well stay home. You are listening to Catholic Worker Community Radio. This program was made with the help of Phil Runkle, Jillian Derry, Miriam and Charles Page, and Mike Powell, as well as all the interviewees. This program was engineered by Marcus Patrick Blaze Page and narrated by Daryl Keith. Archival tapes were provided by Marquette University. Marcus Page and Love Archie Shalom are now, at the turn of the century, working on a motion picture about Ammon Hennessy. If you would like to get involved with this project, please contact Love Archie Shalom Productions. Post Office Box 4973, Gallup, New Mexico, 87305. Once again, contact Love Archie Shalom Productions care of Mark Page, P.O. Box 4973, Gallup, New Mexico, 87305.